Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound on. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. All right, World Series tonight. World Series tonight. I feel good about it. I think the Nats, I feel strong. I think the Nats are going to get this. But there's so much breaking news to get through. John Bolton has been asked to testify next week. We're going to dive into that with the latest on the impeachment. Plus, two career foreign service officers from the State Department testified today behind closed doors. And get this, breaking news, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey tweets out, quote, we've made the decision to stop all political advertising on Twitter globally. We believe political message reach should be earned, not bought. So Twitter, not going to be advertising politically. Wow. Breaking news on that front as well. Plus, Fed update, the... Carl Riccadonna is going to check in with us. The Carl Riccadonna, Bloomberg's chief economist, going to call in and give us an update on translating Fed Chair Jay Powell. And we also have an all-star panel here with us, Adrian Elrod, Matt Gorman, and Guy M. Snodgrass. It's the book making its way through, holding the line inside Trump's Pentagon with Secretary Mattis. He's the former chief speechwriter and communications director for General Mattis, Secretary Mattis. He's here as well. So lots to get through. Carl Riccadonna, what happened with the Fed today? Well, I'm going to tease one of your uh, next segments. Uh, I believe it was uh, towing the line or holding the line. Yes. Uh, That is exactly what uh, Jay Powell tried to uh, accomplish with today's press conference. So the Fed uh, has been responding to weakening economic conditions and especially responding to intensification of the trade war uh, by uh, easing uh, policy rates. So they cut by uh, 75 basis points uh, consecutively, 25 each uh, at uh, each of the last uh, three meetings. And uh, in the past, uh, three was a charm. So back in 1995-96, well, the Fed saw a weakening economy. Uh, they cut rates by 75 basis points, and that was enough to reinvigorate growth. Uh, back in 1998, again, the Fed started uh, cutting, not in a recession, just a mid-cycle course correction. 
Uh, and again, that was enough to reinvigorate growth. Uh, today, Jay Powell tried to signal that uh, maybe three is enough uh, this time around as well. Uh, and so the uh, you know the, the difficult tightrope that he's walking here is uh, trying to wean the markets off the expectation that the Fed will just keep cutting rates uh, at every single meeting. Uh, and so that was uh, basically what he did today, towing the line. However, uh, there are some real question marks as to whether the economy is on the same type of trajectory uh, as what we put, uh, what what we saw in those prior episodes. So let me just put a few numbers around that uh, for the listening audience. Uh, back in '96, when they said we've done enough, GDP growth was three percent, uh, and non-farm payroll gains were about two hundred twenty-five thousand per month in the quarter. Wow. Uh, in 1998, save that wow, because uh, <laughs> you're going to have a wow next. In 1998, <laughs> uh, when they stopped, GDP growth was 6.6%. That's queuing you for the wow-wee. 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 And payrolls were averaging 281000 per month. I so mean, it, it really very is. Very strong performance. The it really is a strong performance. Then. Where are we now? Today uh, well, we saw GDP growth of 1.9%, and payrolls are probably averaging about 130, 125,000 per month. Uh, this Friday is going to be especially disappointing uh, for the payroll numbers. My team's looking for just 70,000. So the GM strikes a big part there, but you're a pessimist, these, Carl. These are not pessimistic. I had a jobs day. Kevin. You know, these it's my birthday weekend, numbers. Carl. I want to, I want to blow out jobs day. It's not going to be a blowout jobs day. It's going right. to be just a, a little bit of a whiff. Uh, and in that environment, you have to wonder, have they really done enough? And I think the answer to that question is no, uh, which means they'll either be forced into a little bit more easing come the uh, December 11th rate decision, uh, or if not uh, in December, then in, in Q1 of next year. Carl Riccadonna just breaking it all down. Glad one of us could. <laughs> Bloomberg's chief economist, Carl Riccadonna, staying late for us in our New York studio. Appreciate the time as sure always, thing. my friend, Carl Riccadonna. Uh, very much appreciative. Uh, joining us now here in the in our Washington bureau, Adrian Elrod, Democratic strategist, former director of strategic communications for the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign, and Matt Gorman, vice president at Targeted Victory, former NRCC communications director. I just quickly want to go through uh, the latest impeachment headlines that developed earlier this afternoon. John Bolton. John Bolton has been asked to testify next week. The former National Security Advisor has been asked to testify on November 7th before the House committees conducting the impeachment inquiry. Uh, this, according to Bloomberg, which cites a person familiar with the matter. Now, there's been some back and forth about whether or not Bolton is going to comply with this. Matt Gorman, Republican insider, do you think that ultimately Bolton will get on board with this? He might. And man, there ain't nothing like a bolt and scorn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like a lightning bolt. Yeah. Oh. See what I did there, Matt? I, 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 I there? don't. Yeah, well, no. But look, I think, you know, a couple things. Bolton is a very savvy insider, right? He was in the Bush White House for a long time, former UN ambassador, obviously involved in the Trump White House. He is someone who knows how Washington works very well. So, and, and he's taking a long view on this. He's not going to destroy his reputation for something he sees as whether you know it might be ill-fated or whatever, right? So he is somebody who I think could very well be, if he complies, and I think he actually will, someone who really sheds a lot on what the inner workings of the Trump White House was like.
All right, Adrian Elrod, earlier today, two more State Department officials uh, testifying before uh, the before the impeachment inquiry committees. And there just seems to be now on the eve of this vote tomorrow, which is mm-hmm. the first step in the process yep. of this impeachment process, there seems now to be increased velocity in terms of where this is headed, but we still don't necessarily have a timeline for when articles of impeachment will be brought. We don't have a timeline yet, Kevin, and I think we have to keep in mind President Clinton's impeachment process, I believe, took 55 days. And we're at, like, what, 37, 38 now? Well, it depends on when you actually start the timeline, right? Does the timeline technically start after the impeachment inquiry vote, which, by the way, is more of a ceremonial vote. It doesn't actually have to take place, but it's something that Speaker Pelosi has decided uh, is necessary, especially because they are changing some of the um, process rules when it comes to how long witnesses can testify, how long... Um, members of Congress can ask questions. Um, she said that she wants to make this fair for Democrats and Republicans to be able to ask questions in equal time. So there is, um, there are some procedural tactics that will be in the, in the uh, bill that's voted on tomorrow. But look, I got to tell you, I hope, Kevin, that I think, you know, first of all, Congress has got to do its job and um, have a very fair and thorough process. But at the same time, I don't want this to go on into Iowa. I don't no. want, I don't want to see our sitting senators who are running for president have to, you know, spend three weeks in January um, in a Senate trial here in Washington. I mean, they're really going to have to figure out, you know, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, Cory Booker, they're going to have to figure out a way to deploy surrogates, whether it's their family members, key campaign aides, you know, other high-level people who have endorsed them out on the campaign and that's hard trail when there's stuck so many. back here in Washington. Coming up, we're going to stick with 2020 uh, because that's a, a great jumping off point for what we have next. And get this, Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter, just tweeted out within the last 60 minutes, folks, that Twitter is not going to be allowing any political advertising. We're going to dive into the insiders of that. And I've got my hands on the book everybody is talking about, Holding the Line Inside Trump's Pentagon with Secretary Mattis. It's written by Guy M. Snodgrass. He's here waiting in the Bloomberg Bureau. He's the former chief speechwriter and communications director to Secretary Mattis. You don't want to miss what he has to say. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Game 7 tonight, folks. Who's with me? You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Game time, almost. Almost game time. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. Adrian Elrod, Democratic Strategist. Matt Gorman, Republican Strategist. Here with me, sitting here. Where are you watching the game tonight, everybody? Uh, Navy Yard. Okay. Yeah. I have a um, LBJ Foundation dinner tonight, but I will be watching the game later somewhere. I'm not sure where yet. TBD. And obviously everyone here is rooting for the Nets. Yeah, whatever. Obviously. Go Yankees. Good. Oh, okay, yeah. but you've got the Astros no, no, and the Nats. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I'll give you the Nats. I think everybody it, – it, it's so interesting because I think, like, the Astros really thought they were going to just wrap it up last night. And mm-hmm. you know what? No, no. They're a good team. They're a very good team. Eh, they've had a lot of drama in this uh, off, off, uh, off, off field. They've had a lot of drama. That's all mm-hmm. I'm going to say. We haven't really gotten into it, but uh, they fired, I believe, one of their execs, and that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. 
It's been interesting. All right, you know what else is interesting is this tweet from Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter. Adrian, earlier we, you and I were talking about 2020 and how impeachment might go on and on and into the Iowa caucus and these senators who are running for president are going to have a hard time penetrating if that's the case. And look, they're not even going to be able to run ads on Twitter because Jack Dorsey, within the last hour, he tweeted out, We've made the decision to stop all political advertising on Twitter globally. We believe political message reach should be earned and not bought. And then uh, according to Bloomberg's reporting by Kurt Wagner on the Bloomberg Terminal, the new policy to be enforced globally will go into effect November 22nd. The company plans to publish a new political ads policy outlining the change in a few weeks. Wow. Yeah, this is significant. And Kevin, I'm assuming that people can still boost tweets on right. Twitter. They can still put money behind to boost tweets. So it, there will be, it's not like Twitter saying, no, we're not taking any money from campaigns, right? But this is a significant step. And I think it's sort of a slap in the face from, from you know, Jack Tor- Dorsey to Mark Zuckerberg. Because right. There have right. Been so, it totally is. There have been so many controversies with the ads on Facebook being inaccurate. Of course, Elizabeth Warren most recently doing sort of a head fake and posting an ad that she knew was <laughs> inaccurate on Facebook to see if they would take it down, and they didn't. Um, you know, I think we all respect, of course, the right to freedom of speech, and, and that's fine. But Facebook, more people are tuning into Facebook every single day to get their news, to get whatever information they're looking for to watch television shows. And they thus have a responsibility, the same responsibility that broadcast media does to make sure that Preach. advertisements are are accurate. Because they are now, whether they want to be or not, which I think they want to be, they are a primary medium for where people get their information. And this is, Matt, I mean, there's so much to dive in here, but let's let's take a, a step back and let's stick with the, the Dorsey versus Zuckerberg angle for a second because I'll read it from the Bloomberg Terminal. Twitter's decision comes as Facebook Inc. has very publicly defended its policy of not fact-checking posts from politicians, including ads. Yeah, look, a couple things. I, I think this Twitter ban or whatever is, is a little <laughs> bit superficial um, because, look, at least I can speak for Republicans. If you have a Twitter buy as a major part of your digital media plan, it's not very effective, right? Twitters are reaching insiders, are reaching people like Kevin Cirilli and Adrian Elrod, who, you know, at least Adrian probably know who we're voting for already, and Matt Gorman, right? So I, I actually, here's a fun fact. I, I don't vote in the election. Yeah, I no, I, 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 didn't, yeah I, did, I didn't include you on that. I learned I didn't that. At, no, that. I learned that at Penn State Journalism School. I don't vote in the elections that I cover. That's fair. That's Thank fair. You. Go yeah. ahead. Um, but when it comes to Facebook, look, like, my biggest thing is I, I don't believe Facebook should be held to a different standard than broadcast TV is, right? Candidates have a very wide latitude. Whether you like it or not, we can debate that. Very wide latitude on ads when they run on TV. Um, organizations like the NRCC, we had to adhere to much more factual structure. We could get our ads taken down. Candidates have a very wide latitude and almost never get their ads taken down off the cable. So my point is, if you want to do that for TV, you need to have very similar attitude with Facebook or vice versa. I think it's interesting because Jack Dorsey essentially said, you know what, I got through the 2016 election and all of the, the hearings and all of the headline risk and the reputational risk that comes with testifying up on Capitol Hill. And they've arrived at this decision. And then this Facebook arrives at another decision. It really is. I mean, no matter who you agree or disagree or you're indifferent on, it's fascinating to see such two culturally important CEOs really arrive at, at different uh, at different areas as of now. Quick question to you, Adrian. If you're the campaign manager 
of one of these campaigns and this this comes out I guess not if you're the campaign manager, if you're a head of advice, how do you reallocate your resources or take us behind the scenes? What are folks thinking now with this new policy that just got announced? Well, if I was a campaign manager running a major campaign that was um, focused very heavily on digital media buying, I would immediately go to my digital director <laughs> and say, what should we do? Where should we reallocate resources? But, you know, look, people are going to be focusing on Facebook. You know, they're going to be focusing on Instagram. Like, there's plenty of different, you know, alternative Resources and what I think is going to be interesting is, you know, does does our friend Jack at Twitter look back in a couple months and say, "Gosh, we really lost a lot of revenue by making this decision"? Wow. Or we'll does he say, "Thank you, Lord, that I did that, and I don't have to be dragged into Capitol Hill exactly like uh, Zuckerberg was the other day." And I think he probably, I'm sure, this was obviously a very well thought out and thought through yeah. decision at Twitter. They knew that they would be losing some revenue, but obviously they get plenty of revenue from corporate entities and from non-political campaigns. In, in, in a way, right? I think Twitter's biggest problem, in a way, wasn't ads. It was bots. It was right. It, yes. it was no, so. Yeah, in right. a way, it's yeah. being right. like. Look over there. We're going to go on offense and don't talk about the bots. So uh, the, it, you're right. Like, it, does this really kind of set the tone for Jack? I, I give him credit. He was able to kind of do a little distraction by going on offense. But in six months, nine months, a year from now, are we back to talking about those bots? Or are we going to be talking about tomorrow the World Series champions, the Washington Nationals? We'll see. We'll see. Coming up, we pivot to foreign policy. You don't want to miss this. Guy M. Snodgrass is here. He's the former chief speechwriter and communications director to Secretary Mattis. And everybody's buzzing about his book, Holding the Line Inside Trump's Pentagon with Secretary Mattis. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. And you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Have you heard about this book? How could you not? Everybody's talking about it. And in fact, we've got the author sitting in our studio. The book is called Holding the Line Inside Trump's Pentagon with Secretary Mattis. It's authored by Guy Snodgrass. He's a commander from the U.S. Navy, retired now. He's also the former chief speechwriter and communications director for Secretary Mattis. All right, Guy, first of all, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so this opinion that you published 
in the Washington Post, I believe. It was in the Post, right? It was in the uh, USA Today. USA Today. I apologize. It's, it's printed out right in front of me. And, and, and I, lo- <laughs> I love this headline. Why I sued the Pentagon and wrote my book on Donald Trump and James Mattis. Mattis has taken a vow of silence, but America deserves insight on key decisions, threats to alliances, and how dysfunction compromises our security. You've been everywhere, so thank you for adding us to your uh, tour as you promote this book. But let's start here. Why did you write the book? When you take a look back at the year and a half I had with Mattis, I mean, we were there, like you just said, for issues of national and international significance. And may I tell you right now, there's so much misinformation, regardless of whether it's the left side of the aisle, the right side, or, or you're right down the middle. There's a lot of false narratives being bandied about. So to be able to be in the room, to see what the reality is, what the truth is behind closed doors, and to understand that it has a massive impact on America. It has a massive impact on our standing in the world, the way we handle our alliances and partnerships, the way we handle our uh, industry partnerships. And so to be able to share that with the American public felt very important. It was important to get that message out. And look, I mean, when you look back at my 20 years of service in the U.S. Navy, it was always important, you know, your honor, your character, your integrity meant doing the right thing regardless of the consequences, not when it was just politically palatable to do so. I mean, it's filled with juicy anecdotes that that that, that people will really, I think, you know, have an opinion on. But what's your overall takeaway, Guy, of Secretary, or former Secretary Mattis? Secretary Mattis is, is a patriot. There's no two ways about that. When you look at a guy who spent more than four decades of his life in the Marine Corps, he was a four-star general. He commanded one of the largest areas of the world with U.S. Central Command. And, of course, that's been a hot spot for a number of years now. And then to come out of his own retirement, answer the call to once again serve as the Secretary of Defense, I think is an incredibly honorable thing to do. So to your point about the uh, juicy anecdotes in the book, I would tell you there's a lot of behind the scenes of what was really going on, how we handled some of the chaos and just – the changes that were occurring rapidly in the administration. But more importantly, it was that wanting to provide facts to the American public and then wrap it in a compelling narrative. So it's something people would want to pick up and read. Commander-in-Chief Trump, your thoughts? He is a tough act to follow. If you, you could be, again, you could be on the right side of the aisle or the left side. I don't think that matters. It's very alarming to me that as the commander-in-chief that you would routinely pull out your pistol from its holster and shoot yourself in the foot. The fact that what's the biggest illustration of him shooting himself in the foot from your account? When you, as the commander in chief, when you lead the U.S. government, you've got millions of people who are all there serving. You've got your cabinet officials serving to try to enact your policy directives, and you could, of course, that takes weeks, sometimes months, even a year to get everything lined up and ready to go. You never want to blindside your partners. I lived in Japan for six years. You don't want to blindside your international allies or partners. You don't want to blindside the industry. I mean, there's just so many reasons. You want to have that thing lined up to a T. So to suddenly have things in motion for three months and then you tweet about something like the, in this case, uh, what I'm referring to is in the book where I talk about how President Tweet, or excuse me, President Trump sent out a tweet about uh, blocking transgender individuals from the military or withdrawing from military exercises with South Korea or stepping away from the NATO alliance. All those were surprises. The creation of a space force was a complete surprise. So all these things blindside the Pentagon, and it's hard to serve your boss when they're constantly catching you off guard. So the tweet, for example, it, there really hasn't, or at least the, the, 
the mechanism for when the president actually sends a tweet has not really been fully examined nor explored, and that process has been kept incredibly guarded. Right. Uh, but and, and we laugh about it, but, but as you just listed and, and rattled off all of those different examples, and I can tell you that based upon my own reporting from uh, speaking with individuals who, who do work uh, inside of the administration at the various agencies, they are daily surprised uh, by, by, by several of those tweets. So is there... I guess is a basic question: Is there a process in place for when the president hits send or whatever or tweet on on those policy decisions? It's variable, and that's the and that's the it's problem. It's variable. What it's does variable. that mean? It means that there are times where so I have friends who are either previously or currently in the communications shop at the White House. There are times where the tweets will be masterfully constructed, and some staffers sending it out. There are times when President Trump will send it out himself. The danger there, as we just talked about, is that. It requires a level of discipline. You want to make sure, again, that, that you're not blindsiding people. People want to do their very best job for you, regardless of who's in that office. You, you're a public servant. And the best way to do that is make sure things are coordinated and set up correctly. The book is called Holding the Line, Inside Trump's Pentagon with Secretary Mattis. It's authored by Guy Snodgrass, a commander and retired uh, commander from the U.S. Navy. He was the former chief speechwriter and communications director to Secretary Mattis. Look, I mean, I got to ask you this. I mean— there are folks who defend the president and who say, look, he's entitled as the commander in chief to serve the way he wants to. He, he should have folks surrounding him at the agencies who uh, follow his leadership style. To them, you say what? I would tell you this from my own experience. Granted, I served on a much lower level than President Trump or any, of course, president or cabinet secretary. But from my time, even as a lieutenant, as a top gun instructor or from my time as a commanding officer of a fighter squadron in Japan, you realize very quickly it's not about you. It's about the people you serve. And so you need to be ref reflective. You need to look inside and say, okay, well, if that's the case, how do I do my job the best so that I take care of everybody else? It's not about me. It's about we. All right. You were, you were a Top Gun? Correct. Top Gun instructor uh, back in the mid-2000s. Uh, What's your favorite movie? Is it Top Gun? You know, I, I've, I've seen that movie a couple times. It's pretty good. <laughs> is, it, is it, like, real? Do you think they did a good job? Yeah, we actually play a lot more uh, beach volleyball than they do in the movie. So. <laughs> All right, stick around because I want to know what's on your radar. And I actually want to dive into uh, two other aspects of the book. With, with What he said about Amazon is wild, and I can't wait to, to get your take on that. Uh, Guy Snodgrass stays. Panel is also here. Uh, I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. The book is called Holding the Line Inside Trump's Pentagon with Secretary Mattis. It's authored by retired U.S. Navy Commander Guy M. Snodgrass. He's here with me in the Washington Bureau, also joined by Democratic strategist Adrian Elrod, Republican strategist Matt Gorman. Thank you, everybody, for being here. All right, I got to finish up with what's in this book because there's so much to get through. And I got my hands on it two hours ago as I was prepping for this, skimming through it. Uh, what do you, what went on with Amazon? I'm going to let you tell because I don't even know if we can say some of the, all of the words. Uh, but the Jedi contract in, in particular, it, it, it's a really fascinating anecdote, I think, into President Trump and his relationship with former Secretary Mattis. Yeah, it's a very 
kind of do me a favor and talk a little closer. You bet. Uh, it's a little. It's definitely a jarring line, right? And I know a lot of people have, have really clamped onto it. I would tell you before I answer your question that it's a great way that Matt has served this president, where President Trump would react reflexively. He would ask for the results he wants to see, but then Mattis himself would find a way to do things ethically and legally by the book. And that's exactly the anecdote that I share with readers is we're in his office, it's only about maybe eight to 10 of us in the room, and he shares with us that President Trump had called over and directed him to screw Amazon and to block them from the $10 billion Pentagon cloud contract uh, that Amazon, Microsoft, and others have bid for. And Mattis, of course, turns to, uh, frankly, the lawyers in the room and said, look, we're not going to do that. We're going to do this legally and ethically by the book. And then you've got Lockheed Martin. Tell us about that. So, well, of course, Lockheed Martin, I mean, it, myself as a fighter pilot, right? I'm the benefactor of a lot of their products. And you look at the F-35, the Joint Strike Fighter, it's been a large budget program for the Department of Defense for several of the services for years now. And uh, in this case, it was just working with Deputy Secretary Pat Shanahan at the time. We provided the second time that, that President Trump came to the Pentagon. This is in January of 2018. It was the day before we released the 2018 National Defense Strategy. And so we had an opportunity to brief President Trump on the state of the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter. And in the book, I share a really good anecdote where I thought he was savvy because he turned to the president and said, look, you're the chief procurement officer of the United States. This is the good work you've done. And it was a great uh, line from Deputy Secretary Shanahan. Did you ever think you would have to do this, to publish a book like this? I mean, you, you've, you've literally flown, you've fought, you've served your country. Did you, did you ever envision that a, that a book like this would be in your career? No, not in a million years. I mean, it, you know, if anything, I thought I'd write a book about my experience as a fighter pilot or time at Top Gun, the lessons I learned, how I could relate that to business, you know, something like that. And when you look back yeah, at I what got I, that book, Make Your Bed. Yeah, that, I, I love that book. So I know Admiral McRaven. It's a great book. It's a great book, His and I literally the, keep it next to my bed, and it reminds me to make my bed. Anyway. And you do so, right? I do, yeah. I made Fantastic. my bed this morning because I was like, oh, that book's there. Yeah. <laughs> He's holding you to account. It's a great book. But, <laughs> but when you look behind the scenes and you realize, again, it, it's about America's security. It's about putting the country first and putting politics second. And so when you think about the fact that um, all these things that are happening behind the scenes that are threatening our alliances and partnerships, that are threatening – America standing in the world. I just talked with uh, an individual from Israel earlier today who was saying, look, I mean, America is withdrawing from the Middle East. Russia's moving in. Iran's moving in. What does this mean for America? Are you retrenching? Can we trust you anymore? And that's a very damaging thing, and it takes years to rebuild that trust. Let me ask you, all right, now we're going to switch to the segment that we do here, Guy. It's, uh, it's called What's on Your Radar? Uh, I, I want you to tell – Ukraine has been in the news so much, so I'm actually going to put something on your radar. It's my, I guess I'm allowed to do this for this segment. So Ukraine's on, on your radar. Tell us about Ukraine. It's been in the news every single day with this impeachment inquiry. Uh, what's on your radar as it relates to Ukraine? Well, think about the tenuous position that Ukraine is in. You've got the ongoing, it's basically a hot war with Russia on their eastern flank in the Donbass region. I've traveled, so I wrote Secretary Mattis' speech that he gave during the Ukrainian, well, it was right before the Ukrainian Independence Day with then-President Poroshenko. I accompanied him on that trip. I mean, you walk two blocks from, two, excuse me, two blocks from the parade site, and you can see where some of the bullets were still flying as they had had some of that contested. And so every day when we talk to the ambassador to Ukraine, every day Ukrainians are dying on that front. And so it's something that, of course, is incredibly significant. And now you think about the fact that Congress voted through to give lethal aid to the Ukrainians to support them and to defend themselves. And for that to be held up allegedly over a political, uh, for a political reason is, is very unfortunate, of course. Wow. All right. Elrod, what's on your radar? 
Um, can I say something that's <laughs> Tell not... Tell that to follow. <laughs> I know, like... Uh, can I say something that's not political? It's not newsworthy, really? No, it has to be newsworthy. Do you need another... Do you want I'm another going, minute? I'm, go, I'm going... Go to Gorman. I'm going to see Fleetwood Mac on Sunday. Ooh. I'm very excited about that in Where? Philadelphia. What? With my friends from the Biden campaign. That's nice. going to be very exciting. It's one of their last shows in North America. So that's not really newsworthy, but I think it's newsworthy. I, I saw them in D.C. They're really good. Mm-hmm. I... Love I caught them here. I caught them in, in Madison Square Garden with Hillary Clinton. So I'm seeing them one more time. What's your favorite Fleetwood Mac song? Also, way to like brag. God, I know. Sorry, Ugh. I just don't want to talk about impeachment anymore. And no, I'm really, not. With all due respect, you said it. covered Ukraine. It was really good. I just don't even think I can cover Ukraine anymore. What's your anymore. favorite Fleetwood Mac song? I really like Rhiannon. Okay. Um, you know, don't never stop going is back. like you kind of have never to like, back. like don't stop. Never going back. Never going back again is a good back. one. It's a bop. Yeah. Secondhand news. All right, we've looked at what's on your Silver radar. Spring. Oh, good one. Um, well, two things to follow oh, up. Oh, landslide. I mean, if you need. Oh, a great record. one. What's your favorite Fleetwood Mac song? Oh my gosh, don't put me on the spot like that. I, I, I'm more of a. Uh, hold me. There, hold me. Uh, I like that. There you go. Okay, what do you listen to? It's a wide variety. You know, that was the best part about being a uh, fighter pilot was that you had most of your pilots were usually between the ages of about 23 to 26. So, I mean, they would play everything from country music to electronic dance music. I mean, all sorts of stuff. So you just so you'd have some bops. Oh, absolutely. All right, cool. All right. Uh, really quick. What's on your radar? I'm checking to see if any Republicans uh, vote for Good the impeachment time. inquiry tomorrow. Quick. Okay, well, fine. I'm waiting to see if any Republicans vote for the impeachment inquiry tomorrow. Yeah, same, because there's this huge vote. Uh, uh, okay, Republicans are starting to say that there's a witch hunt vote on Halloween. I'm just going to leave that there. But oh, go ahead. Lord. No, uh, and so I think that some of the most vulnerable Republicans, whether it's John Katko, Brian Fitzpatrick, or um, Will Hurd, who already said he's retiring, I think they're going to hold the line. I think they're going to vote no. One person, as I was walking in today, Francis Rooney of Florida, um, he's also retiring. He said he wasn't sure how he was going to vote. So that's even though he not, didn't commit either way, what are they more daylight than any of the Republicans had so far. Understand. What are they even formally voting on? That's the thing. And that's what, what even Democrats like, can answer that. Well, no, no I, I can answer it. Thank I can you, answer Adrian. this. Um, they're voting on the impeachment inquiry, which, by the way, is not a required vote, but some of the tactical changes that they're making to the process of impeachment is what they're voting on, i.e., how long can a witness testify, i.e., how long can somebody um, question a witness, Democrats and Republicans. There are just some procedural rules that they want to change as part of this vote um, that are different from the last time we, we went through this process with President Clinton. All right. All right. What was your right, – it's Halloween tomorrow, right? Tomorrow is mm-hmm. Halloween? What was the best thing you ever wore for Halloween, Adrian Allrod? I, I will tell you, this is – I have this instantaneously down. In third grade, my parents thought it would I be really funny. I love these stories. These are, like, the best stories. <laughs> if they would dress me up as Richard Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> So mainly because they found a Richard Nixon mask on sale at like oh. I don't know some costume store, and they're do you like, have a Let's picture of that? Have Adrian be Richard please Nixon? Please tweet that out. Can you please? Or can I'll, I at I'll least ask see? my I'll ask Georgia, my Georgia. mother. She oh. has a photo. All right, Gorman. I wouldn't be in politics if it wasn't for Halloween 2000. I needed something to do. Didn't like politics, so I on a whim chose George W. Bush. Went down to the HQ in my town to get a wow. pin, Bush Cheney 2000 pin. My uh, friend's grandmother was the chairwoman of the, of the town committee, and that's how I uh, ended up in politics. She told me to come back on election day. What a great show. I had no idea that there was, yeah. that there was a perfect stories. That does it for me. Let's go, Nats. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.